Welcome to Prepare Like a Pro Live Chats. My name's Jack McLean. I created Prepare Like a Pro early in the year. We are a strength and conditioning business that specialise in athlete development for football. If you're interested in working with our coaches, head over to our website, preparelikeapro.com. You can download free training programs. You can start working with us both in face-to-face for technical working as well as have a coach that works with you that's in your corner for training packages and training programs both online as well as uh, face-to-face in Melbourne. I'm really excited tonight to catch up with Dan Baker. For those that don't know Dan, he's currently the president of the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association. Previously, Dan has been the strength and power coach for the world-famous Brisbane Broncos, which he was there for 20 years and leading them to four titles. He has his PhD, and unlike most PhDs, he does not work full-time as a lecturer or in the laboratory. He trains athletes in the field, so he both understands the academic side as well as practical. He's a strength and conditioning coach at the elite level, working with international and national level athletes in the following following sports, rugby league, union, powerlifting, which he does a bit of himself as well, diving, soccer, track and field, netball, mixed martial arts, just to name a few. Uh, He's a level three strength conditioning and master coach, ASCA, and he's recognised in the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association. So going to send Dan an invite now to join us. Dan Baker has joined. Go, Dan. There he is. How you going, Dan? Hey, how are you? Oh, well, is it, what's the temperature like in Bali? Thick and hot and humid. Thick and hot and humid. Yeah. Classic. Yeah, classic. Yeah, yeah. Nice, mate. Thanks for jumping on. Good to have me on. Thanks for everyone for uh, tuning in, whatever the word is for Instagram. Yeah, yeah, tune in works. You've got a, you've got a few boys and girls uh, tuning in right now, actually. So we'll get cracking straight into it, mate. Um, yeah. Take us back to the beginning. When did you discover a passion and, and how old were you that elite sport and, and strength and conditioning was going to be your career path? Well, probably had a passion from about age 15, but there was no really elite book then. So I can't say that I want to be a strength conditioning coach because there weren't any. Australia back then, say 1980. Yep. Um, remember the Australian Institute of Sport. It didn't even think it was formed at that stage. So, but I did a lot of training when I was between 14 or 15. I was a bit overweight and finished it under 14, 40 season. I thought I'm going to have a crack and get fit and lose some weight. So I did a lot of exercise and it changed my body, changed my fitness, really into it then. So Around age 15 or so, so I decided to be regularly in, involved in exercise and that. Yeah, there, there were no role models. What were they? Was there fitness guys at all or was it ex-players that were looking after fitness or did players just get fit by playing yeah, the sport? It was, <laughs> it, was, it was the coach normally did your fitness, which was run, run 10 laps to the field or something and do some push-ups and sit-ups or something like that. I, Love it. I also went and uh, joined my brother's boxing gym and he had a, a He's a very good boxing coach in Queensland and it was just just do what you're told and go to boxing and start off with a 5K road run, come back and then uh, jog on the spot, punching dumbbells in the air for five three-minute rounds. So oh, Jesus. before you even put a glove on, you've done 35 minutes of uh, aerobic training before you even put a glove on. And then you, it was always, everything was three minutes on, 30 seconds off. Yeah, yeah. brutal. Yeah, and you do that for an hour and a half, two hours, stuff like that. So you just sort of learn like that and you read a couple of general books on fitness, some something like that. But was very, very general, not much knowledge around. Yeah, quite yeah. okay. So cool. So 15, you're exposed to, you changed your, your body, did some did some boxing, got exposed to different things, and, and you're playing rugby, football at the time. When were you first exposed to a fitness coach or an S&C, or, or, or were you always your own trainer, and then you became a coach? <laughs> were you one of the first ones? Pretty much my own coach. Yeah, I, we didn't have them. They just didn't exist. Proper strength conditioning coach didn't exist back then. Unless you have a, look, was a phys ed 
future. Yeah, the phys ed is. I was lucky, I suppose. We had a one phys ed teacher. He was a Commonwealth Games gold medalist in the 400 metres hurdle of Gary Brown. He won the gold medal in uh, Brisbane Commonwealth Games. He had a silver medal uh, before in um, Edmonton in 1978. So I suppose you could say that was the first exposure to someone having some elite knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There. So I, I suppose in that way it was him. But, uh, but that was just like for fitness, for 400 type running and then cross country. Good cross country coach at a high school took Gary McDonald. Now it's hard to believe that someone like me would run cross country, but I used to do a lot of running and I was uh, in the school cross country as well as being a first 15 prop. <laughs> wow. Props. It's a bit. Wow. It's impressive. It's a, a different thing, but a really good uh, cross country coach too, John McDonald's. He had us doing hill at lunchtime and, and then long distance work after school as well. It's brutal. Yeah, yeah. What would be your uh, body weight and what were your longer running sessions back then doing cross country running and being uh, a prop? Eight, eight kilometers would be the most we do for school boys. I used to do a lot of work around five. Eight's hurt me a bit. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't big, so I was only maybe uh, 74 kilograms. You know, and this is before the weights. There was no big Polynesian kids or something in Australia back then. I was just a you know, surfer and surf lifesaver, but I was reasonably strong. Yeah, uh, difficult yeah. playing rugby league and rugby union. And, and my dad, my dad, I should say, he—I he, had three brothers, so it was four boys, and he made us a homemade weight each. It's like two paint tins. Oh yeah, my grandpa did that for my dad for the quads, <laughs> leg extensions. So we good for the home and one for each. I was the youngest, so there was no progressive overload when you could lift. Your next brother's up barbell, you move to it. But that, I, I suppose I had my own barbell like that when I was about. 10 or 12. I don't know how much it weighed, maybe 15 kilograms. I don't know. I know my yeah, yeah. Probably barbell was about 70, so, so just whatever weight there were. Sink or swim, yeah, yeah, yeah. Adapt, but find a way. When you, when you had to do like a cheap reverse curl type power clean from hand. Yeah. And that's impressive that you were doing that. Where would you have seen that? Was there much of that going yeah, forward? That's track and field coach? Cleans were. Cleans were. You know, man, there was no bench press around back then. People hadn't seen it. There's no video or anything. So we knew pressing. So we did overhead press, um, yeah. bent over rows, curls, and there's uh, half squats, you have to clean it, put it on your shoulders, do a sort of a half squat. Oh, to get it onto your back, yeah. Yeah, press it off again. <laughs> wasn't really, we didn't do much squats. <laughs> but mainly we do a lot of uh, just lift it up and press, clean it up and dollar press. That was yep, the main thing. Yep. We did that in rows. I can't remember doing too much else. Press. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, cool. And you mentioned your dad and your brother. So who were some other influences or mentors early on in your career? I have to say I read and look at a lot of people. Everyone. I wonder, I joined the University Powerlifting Club at Queensland University and we had a guy there, Glenn Waskiller. He was second and third in the world in a 75K class. And I used to go and train with him. He trained mid-morning, so I just made sure I trained mid-morning. And he was there watching yep. him train. And after a while, we are the only two there in the morning. He'd say, can you spot me? 300K in the bar. Yeah. hope he doesn't miss it. It's just not in the power rack. They're just free, freestanding on the platform. No safety arm. No safety arm, no nothing. What do I do if he misses this? You know, yeah, they both going down. He, luckily, he didn't miss but yeah, so he was a big influence. He, practical stuff, and not programming because he was like high level and crazy. He used to squat uh, three days a week, and the day he didn't squat, he deadlift three days a week. It's like six uh, days a week yeah. to smash his lower body. It's like max weights every day. It's like oh. and he, he would talk a lot of the minutiae of lifting and technique and the little things around the sport, things about adaptations and stuff like that. But I, I could never follow his programs. Like it was just like, yeah. So is that the first time you've seen someone lifting that weight? Yeah. So there was a couple of good guys in my club. I was him, a guy called Wayne Scarf, who came fourth in world championships in powerlifting, and a couple of guys who come over occasionally from Ipswich, Dino Tochi and uh, Mason Jardine. They come over and lift as well, and. Uh, yeah. And they were like both uh, second in the world as well in the 90 kilos, Mason 110s for Dino. So, uh, so you know, you get Dino's 110K, he, he got massive deadlifter back then. It was 800 pound deadlifter, 300, whatever that's 360 some K. 
240k bench. That's raw. You know, so that you'd see those guys and go, holy shit. CPM is here. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we could say back in the 80s, just let's just say that drug testing didn't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit of help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone they were competing against, drug testing didn't exist for either. So they were just lifting really big weights and it's pretty inspirational. Or, or it changed your mindset of what you think is possible. Absolutely. So, when you, you see it. Like a, uh, time drug free like me think okay well if someone's 300 kilograms say, say there what, what is possible for me maybe it's maybe it's 220 i don't know we didn't really know so yeah whereas now we think well actually that stuff has given them a huge assistance well, people would take it not saying those guys took it, i'm just saying generally but yeah, uh, as a reference point yeah you, you didn't know what your reference point is and so you just kept pushing along and sometimes it's disheartening because you think i don't know am i doing well or am i not doing well you know as a natural athlete i, I don't know but it was also, they were always very helpful to me in coaching. Any advice I could go ask Mason or Jim, Dino or Wayne or Glenn or any of those guys are always very helpful. I, I'm, they were a big influence in just the nuances and, and smaller detail of uh, being a high-level strength athlete, just washing them brain and any advice I ever needed. Now, they'd scale it back. Reality of, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Intermediate level. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so that makes it, so they sort of open your eyes up to powerlifting and, and what is possible in, in the strength yes. game. And then what about working as a coach in rugby? You know, how did you get to your role as a strength power coach at the Broncos? What was the, what was the progression? What did it look like? Right. So when Ben Johnson went positive at the 88 Seoul Olympics, that was a really good thing for sports as in people got serious about drug testing then. And after that, Australia started to win medals because drug testing became serious at the Olympics. Therefore, the Australian government then got serious about sport and then they started a SADA as the event, did drug testing, put money into sport. And that sort of saw the profession grow. The Australian Institute of Sport had hired strength coaches, Harry Wardell, Melvin Giles, Julian Jones's dad, Lynn Jones, and a few others. So they started to get professional in the late 80s and early 90s. And then the Australian Strength Conditioning Association, we had started in 1988, Gary Eggers and Ian King in a relationship with NSEA. And originally NSCA Australia, but 1991, they sort of disbanded us. The NSCA made a unilateral decision to disband us without telling us. And in about 1991, and then, so I was lecturing in courses for the ASCA, and I did a course with Ross O'Reilly, who was working with the Redcliffe Dolphins, which is a Brisbane feeder team, Broncos yep. now, and, yep. and Paul Bunn as well. And they said, would you be interested to do uh, work with Redcliffe next year in the state league? And I said, yeah, that'd be great as a strength coach. Then yeah. Condition, just come in and do strength twice a week with them. And I did that, and, and we were successful. We won the little grand finals uh, that they were in, Redcliffe. We won the, the A grade, reserve grade, C grade, under 19s, under 17s, under 15s, and pub league. It was a really big, successful year. Hmm. So, the start of the next year, Super League kicked off in Australia, the big fight for it, at least. And Ross said, me, Ross O'Reilly, the coach, said, Have you had a call for me in the Super League teams yet? This on a Monday, it started this battle for Super League started on a Saturday morning. And I said, No, he said, You'll get one tonight because they're going to pay players twice as much money or three times as much money as they are now, they're going to need to invest in the training of those players. So you'll probably get a call because you've done a really good job for us. And I went home that night and I had a message on my machine from Kelvin Giles to ring him about working for the Broncos the following year. So that's how I sort of got started. Yeah. The feeder club, Redcliffe, and did a really yep. good job there. And, uh, got recognised. And-, and a lot of the players who were my feeder players, this is it, I always say, you reap what you sow. Um, hmm. At Redcliffe, who I had great programs from their 13, 15, they were like Petro Sidney Seagulls in the 17s, Dane Carlo, Brent Tate. So I had a lot of these guys that I really trained Redcliffe for two years. When I went to the Broncos, that was then signed to go to the Broncos. Yeah, so if I thought these kids aren't important, I'm not only working with the A grade or the reserve grade, who's this Brent Tate, this 13 year old idiot or the Dane? Who are these kids to bother me? program which i never think mm. like that but if you're like that 
you're missing out the big picture because you reap what you sow. If you do a good job and start these kids when they're 13 and show interest in them, and they make it all their way through, they are indebted to you. And they love you. Their parents love you. Yeah. They're helping them when they're 13. They're getting to the under-15 elite squad. They're from under-15 elite squad to the 17s. From 17s then to a Broncos contract. And then a Broncos under-17 contract, under-19 contract, big boy contract. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can make a big impact. Yeah, you make an impact. If you are out there and you're working with any kids 13 to 17, do a good job. They can uh, ask for you sometime in their future. The player saying, I want to get this guy who worked with me when I was 15. He's great. Be a superstar now, an NRL player or AFL. And you get dragged up all of a sudden because this player's got an injury and he wants you to look after him. So if you're working with 13 to 17-year-old players in elite development, don't get disheartened. They are a joy to work with, but they can also really help your career sometime. You just don't know when. You just mm. always do a great job. Mm. Yeah, I love that. That's a great message. Uh, that flows on into my next question. What, what are some key focuses with developing athletes? Yeah. What, uh, what are your pillars? So. It's a little bit different now. Kids back then all moved pretty well. <laughs> it's like no one couldn't do a full squat. <laughs> Everyone could do a full squat without even talking about it. Everyone had good mobility and could touch their toes to the floor, hands to the floor. Hamstring wise. So, but now you've got to concentrate on movement first. Do they move well in multiplanar situations? Yep. And then once we've got them moving well, hopefully by age 10, then we can start loading up with body weight exercises and soft resistance. Soft resistance, I mean, is not barbell weights, using sandbags and medicine balls and bands. I'm not a big believer in using barbells till after they finish their peak high velocity growth spurts because the technique's going to change anyhow when they go through these growth spurts and they're restarting barbells and sometimes you don't know that it peak high velocity or three or six months after they're in it and you see them struggling with technique like baby giraffe being born so in waiting till after that definitely finished it and you can overload them with goblet squats with sandbags and things like that and then go to barbells once they finish peak high velocity sometime around 14 or 15 minutes yeah and that's because their movement competency will be – it won't be changed with the, with the growth. It will be steady after they've reached yeah, their peak height. Just get up. That is all shit. It all changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Got a long barbell on their shoulders. It's unstable, that long barbell. So I think goblet squat – if you want to use a kettlebell in front, use a kettlebell or dumbbell in front, but not a barbell uh, as they're going through those things. Certainly if you want to front load, three-load goblet squat or dumbbell, uh, that's okay too. But a long barbell and a back squat is just a recipe for disaster for a lot of kids. Especially they're tall kids in uh, basketball, volleyball, AFL, some of the taller rugby league and union guys. The recipe for disaster, mm. barbell back, what, roast birds. Use your other tools that you can still progressively overload. And- yeah. And then yeah. once they finish that, I still favour the front squat over the back squat the first few years. Do both, but I test with the front squat. And once they finish high school or 17 or 18, I change the testing to test back squat. Do the front squat one day a week, back squat the other, test on the back squat. So I just flip it as they by seven and eight, and they fill that a bit more. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's cool. So that's the the front squat requires more mobility, like you're saying. So yeah. it's like a constraint that makes them do their thoracic work. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when they're older, they've grown. You can go for the bigger lifts, uh, yeah. like the the back squat. Yeah, cool. And the front squat system. sets you up. But then if you want to do Olympic lifting, well, you've got that. Mobility. You've got it. You've got that front back yeah. position. You've got all those things. You've got all that overhead mobility that the front squat gives you. Overhead work. And obviously with growth and development too, if you can do that aerobic work when you're going through a growth spurt, we're getting that add-on effect in your heart and lungs. So we're not just getting bigger in our muscles, but if we do some aerobic work, even if it's low intensity, aerobic threshold or maximal lactate steady state, which is about that. 20 or 30 minutes, like stuff I still at school, run for five kilometers, eight kilometers. Two or three times a week, that's fine too. It really adds to your aerobic capacity, growth and development way, and sets mm-hmm. you up for life as well. So, I don't think kids in the gym six days a week when they're 13 or 14, two or three days in a, 
a week in the gym, two or three days of aerobic work planning and give you a good base to develop the athlete. Uh, obviously, with the movement stuff around that. Absolutely. And how about the the opposite end of the spectrum, the, the athletes that are wanting to prolong their careers by a year or two? How does your approach change with, with those guys, which I'm sure you had plenty on the coming, yeah, yeah. On the cutting edge. My thing is you don't lose strength as you get older. It might be hard oh. to gain, but don't lose strength. Just say, oh, I'm getting old. What's an old athlete? They call themselves 28. Oh, I'm pretty old now. I'm 55. <laughs> I'm still training hard. I think they get soft in the mind sometimes, older athletes. Oh, mate, I don't want to push my body too hard this year. As soon as you hear that, or oh, uh, I'm worried about my legacy. If I hear the word legacy, it's like, oh, get out of here. When I'm watching the UFC fights and I hear a champion talk about his legacy, my wife and I go, oh, if we gamble, put money against him, as soon as I say legacy or they're looking at the future, not involved in the process of now. The process of now is being excellent. Be the best athlete you can be and knowing that your opponent wants to, like especially in rugby, wants to smash you. It's all about the advantage line and dominating your opponent at the advantage line. So if you think, oh, well, that advantage line is going to be a bit softer hit this year, when does that ever happen? Mm. Does that contact being a bit softer this year than it was last year? You want it's getting bigger and bigger every year. Yeah. As guys knocking, want to knock you off your pitch. That's why we have some really good uh, role models of the Broncos and Dane Webke, Brad Thorne, Petro Simmons. Those guys who just never let their strength go backwards, ever, ever. Always made sure they're 100% strength. Yep. Oh, like, Dan, I'm taking it easy this year. It's not even in their mindset because they know whether the positions they play their role is as battering rams. And they were really good. And then again, every Broncos player was pretty much like that. Didn't have that mindset. Yeah, yeah. they might have had it, but they didn't stay there long. They got yep. found out. They shipped them on before the end. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, it's good, good culture, and obviously worked as well, which is which is always nice. How about you're in Bali at the moment? You said you're still training hard. What has life been like in 2020, and, and what are you excited about for for 2021? Well, we got stuck here. I was uh, working for ASCA lecturing in the Philippines and doing a level two course. I was supposed to do a level one course the following weekend, and the president of the Philippines said at 9:30. Sat on a Friday night, 9:30 p.m. He said, um, "Closing the borders at 12 midnight tomorrow." So, <laughs> sort of oh. jumped up out of bed. My wife and I and booked a flight out at 6 p.m. following night. And the first flight we could get out of the Philippines, and we got back to Bali, and then Bali locked down. So we got sort of stuck here. But it's okay because we have a home here in Bali. So we got stuck here, and we're still stuck here, yeah. and we will be stuck here for a long time. No way out. Yeah, Bali's fine, mate. You know, there's a lot of people doing it tough. We work in tourism. There's domestic tourists here from other islands, but they don't spend like Australians, spend food, money on grog or anything like that. So a lot of people lost their jobs in, in tourism. Yeah. yeah. And generally, there's, people don't panic about COVID here. Like we have we have a 1,000 active cases a week, a day here. Any, any given day, there's a 1,000 active cases and it's 100 or so new cases every day. It's 100 recoveries every day, 100 new cases every day. Life goes on. Just yeah, we've had less deaths here than Melbourne. So I think Australia just panics. 30 people in Sydney. My God, oh, COVID, shut the country. Bali, yeah, people got COVID. Quarantine them. Life goes on. Just got to wear a mask when you go out. That's it. So yeah. Wear a mask. We get a temperature taken. Every time you go out, you get a temperature taken. Wash your hands, sanitize, wear a mask. Once you're outside, sitting at a restaurant, your own table, take your mask off. Anyone enters your space, they have to wear a mask. That's the way to start. That's pretty good. Simple. Yeah, simple. Outside, go along. Wear a mask. I've got like seven different masks. Now for a walk, wear a mask. So like all I've done here lately this year is work online and train six days a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I lost a bit of weight for a while. I don't know if it's on, but I had a full pack of abs a couple of weeks ago. I don't know where it's gone now. Fantastic. So getting getting strong, getting lean. Yeah, I'm getting, I can't get my strength back. I, I week before last, I, two weeks in a row, I squatted five on uh, 175. That's max effort. Deadlift five on 190. So I know oh, I need yeah. to even two years ago, but that's about 
about all I seem to be able to do these days. So it's five. I'll, I'll take that. In. Yeah, yeah, I'll be happy I, if I, I can do that. that. I can't knock those out weights out uh, every week. That's like it's. This week I ended five on one sixty five in the squat. So a deload week last week, and so I had some dental surgery, so I had to have a few days off. So I took a lot of training and I'm just building back up again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you smashed yourself just before the dental, knowing you were going into a yeah a time where you had to offload. Well, I timed my deloads, and knowing now it's going to be Christmas and New Year, so I just do some volume stuff. So yeah, but yeah. So all I've done this year is a lot of uh, training and a lot of professional development, reading and you know, stuff like that. Because I normally travel to China eight times a year. Oh wow. Okay. So yeah. Well, so it's had a fair shift. Yeah. And there's some exciting things to going ahead with uh, Asker next year? Oh, uh, well, we'll wait and see. Uh, obviously, this COVID has changed the landscape of everything, how we work and all that. So obviously, we're putting a lot of the coursework level one will be online. As an yep. online option, you still have to do a practical exam and practical sessions, but that allows us then maybe have a big practical day where people can come in from places to a facility, COVID safely, which that'll depend on every state or nation and how that's done in the future. Mm. Uh, we're going to put some of the, of the theory online, people who want to do it that way. And then, you know, we had our ASCA online conference this year, which is, conference. was pretty good. I, I lied on my couch and put it on the big screen and enjoyed it. <laughs> it's not as good as interacting with people, but, you know. Most comfortable I've ever been at a conference. <laughs> Did you still uh, rock the party shirt? I was thinking of the next conference, I'm going to take a beanbag. Why not? Uh, when you're so at the top, just, you can. Do what you yeah. want. So that's, yeah, 2020 has just been a year of you know, just waiting around and training. Um, yeah, yeah. What else can you do? Doing work online and uh, making income. Uh, trying to stay alive. Yeah, fantastic. I oh, appreciate you jumping on, mate. It's been good sharing your stories and your experiences. So, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for jumping on. You've had plenty of guests watching us all the way through, so... Uh, and it's recorded as well, so I'll make sure to post this in the future. So yeah, the the wisdom that you shared for the SNCs working with junior athletes, everyone takes that on board because I, I think that was really good advice amongst plenty other gems that you dropped along the way, mate. So thanks for the last half an hour of your time, and hopefully things start to shift with COVID and you can come back to your, your home country in Oz. And uh, yeah, but I guess Bali's not the worst place in the, in the world to be. So yeah, thanks for having me on, mate. Cheers, Dan. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks, Jack. All the best. Bye, everyone. Thanks for watching, guys. In the background. That's all good, mate. Cheers, mate. Catch up. See you, guys. Thanks for watching.